the last, I don't know how many Christmases, what? Oh, if you're a small child and you do not want to sit in the service, that means you, Marla. Um, <laughs> you can head down to the nursery and, and enjoy some, uh, some good fun with Marla. <laughs> Bye, Abby. <laughs> yeah. Once in a while, she answers the cue call. <laughs> um, I, the last, how many, I don't know, eight Christmases? It's probably about eight Christmases now. Um, I have, uh, I've spent Christmas at, uh, Basher Children's Home. It was my previous, previous job. I, I worked in a uh, treatment facility for children with emotional disorders. And, and Christmas was sort of the, the best time of year at, at Basher for a number of reasons. Um, the, the biggest thing was, we had a fellow who, who worked at the agency. His name was, uh, Vince Turner. And Vince was like a local celebrity, um, in, in Northern Indiana because he was the voice of Notre Dame for a number of years. And, and, um, so everybody in the area knew him. And in fact, actually it was funny. He was, he was my boss for a while and I'd, I'd go out in public and I'd wear my Basher Children's Home shirt and people would say, Oh, do you, do you know Vince Turner? And it was, it was a running joke for quite a while. And, um, Vince, Vince was an orphan. Um, he was he was raised in foster homes, and um, for him working at Basher, his biggest objective was that everyone would have a better Christmas than he ever had. And so he was he was the director of development, and he would go out to churches and he would collect gifts and he would set up parties and and it was actually to the point that it was way too much. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, um, you know, the kids adored it. I mean, and these are kids from just sometimes no homes, right, where where you'll meet a kid, you know, and, and they'll say, well, in the last eight years, I've been in 15 foster homes, or, um, you know, where they, they lived, you know, with parents who were, were um, you know, drug addicts or, or not present or what have you, and nobody was raising them. And, and so he, he made it a point that, that every kid got whatever they wanted for Christmas, and they'd fill out lists, and you'd look at these Christmas lists they do, and, you know, kids asking for for just unbelievable stuff, and, and you know, Everything, absolutely everything, um, and it was during that time I experienced several absolutely perfect Christmas parties, um, where where these kids who appreciated what they were getting because it was it was amazing. You know, we we would bring in you know really high end cooks to do Christmas dinner and um, candles and tablecloths, and you'd have people waiting on them. Like the the board of directors would come out and they would wait tables. And they'd, they'd open the, open the, um, we had a big wall, you know, they have those by gym sometimes where you can open the wall up. They'd open up this big wall and they'd have Santa there and, and, you know, the, especially we had a unit of little kids, like 12 year olds, and they would just holler and cry and, oh, it's Santa, you know, and, um, and it was outstanding. And I, as I was, as I was working on, um, the message series for the, the season for the next four weeks, I, I started looking at Christmas and I started looking at how we celebrate it and why we celebrate it. And I started asking, well, what made those moments perfect, right? And, and I realized that it's these moments that reflect what God intended it to be. Does that make sense? Um, and I think we see a bit of a model in the first Christmas. Um, and so what we're going to be looking at is we're going to look at elements of the first Christmas and we're going to talk about um, what God intends for us. Everybody with me? Um, and we're going to start with invitations. Because I think if you're going to have a party, you've got to invite people. It sort of makes sense, right? Um, <laughs> if you're me, 
you have a party at somebody else's house and have them invite them so people will actually show up. <laughs> if you're God, you start inviting early, right? And actually, you can see the, uh, the earliest elements of invitation in the scriptures take place in the book of Genesis, right after the fall. When, you know, God predicts, he says, hey, you know, one of your offspring, right? says this to Eve, one of your offspring will crush the serpent's head and he will bruise his heel. This is a reference to the coming of Jesus. Um, if we look at, at specific early references, the early invitations, we're going to look at the prophets, okay? And we're only going to look at two today. And I, I, uh, um, we're going to look at Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was maybe 700 years before Jesus was born. And we're going to look at Micah, who's a little later. Um, for, uh, wow, is that not going to work? Oh my gosh, there it is. <laughs> for, uh, for Isaiah, Isaiah wrote a great line. He says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. Now, um, he's, in a little context. Um, Isaiah is actually talking to the king of uh, uh, Judah at the time, right? And Judah's in a bit of a pickle. They've got an enemy that's going to kind of stomp on them. And so um, Isaiah comes along and he says, hey, you're going to be okay. And the king says, give me a sign. And, and Isaiah says, you know, this gal from your, you know, from your collection of wives, um, who is a virgin, she's going to have a baby promptly, Right? Um, it's probably not the case that that gal had a virgin birth, right? She was a virgin, um, and and then they they did stuff. If you don't know, ask your parents when you get home. Um, and and then there was a a baby born. But predicting the birth of a healthy baby was was not so easy at the time, right? I mean, it wasn't a guarantee that you would have a that you would have a healthy child or a live child, or that you would actually manage to manage to have a boy, which is you know I guess desirable. I I don't know. Um, actually, Abby got her first doll yesterday, and I kind of wish we had had a boy now. No, kidding. I, <laughs> I'm kidding. It was an awful thing to say. But I didn't say the Eileen thing. <laughs> so Roberta's worse than me. <laughs> um, and so the fact that he predicted this is pretty outstanding. Now, in the Old Testament, sometimes what we'll find is we'll find where um, verses will pick up double fulfillments, right? And this is an instance of this. And Matthew points back to this. He says, hey, you know, look at this. This is what was predicted. We have a virgin who's with child. God predicted this. And they named him Emmanuel. Emmanuel um, means God is with us, right? And 700 years before the birth of Christ, um, Isaiah called it, right? I mean, that's quite a shot. I mean, I could see picking a little bit of it, but I mean, Isaiah calls it, you know, God literally comes and lives amongst his people. And as we celebrate Christmas, the early invitations tell us what's really going on. Um, we have separation between us and God because of sin, right? Anybody here not sin? <laughs> don't, don't, I, anyway. Um, so we have separation because God can't have sin in his presence. It's a rebellion against him. He finds it horribly offensive and God fixes it and he predicts the beginning of the fix with this. Literally, I'm going to come and be with you. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, there's some great spots where you can read about God coming and being amongst his people, right? Like where God comes down onto Mount Sinai and the mountain like literally glows and there's fire and everything else. And if you touch the mountain, you like drop dead on the spot. I mean, these are the moments that people were familiar with being in God's presence. And so what we're celebrating is that there was this time 
where literally you could walk up to God and shake his hand. In fact, actually, there was a time right at this point that you could literally walk up and change God's diapers. I mean, God puts himself in a position that's so different from what you would expect from the creator of the universe. And it's amazing because he does it for us. For you. That's why we celebrate this. The early invitations remind us God loves us this much. We find in uh, Micah, and I'm just touching on this one because I, I, uh, I think it's kind of a good verse. Oops, it went away. But it's up there. Um, I'm having technical difficulties this morning. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And what Mike is predicting is, out of, out of Bethlehem, this tiny, tiny, tiny little town, I mean, he might as well say Big Sandy, right? I mean, like, think, or actually Loma, that's the small town in the area, right? That's really cute. Um, <laughs> we moved here from Chicago. Um, <laughs> So, so out of, out of this tiny little town is gonna come someone who's gonna rule over his people. And one of the things we find in reference to Christ repeatedly is that he's the king of the Jews, right? Um, Luke uses the phrase twice, um, king of the Jews next to the birth in Bethlehem, right? And then again later on when Christ is going to the cross and they're making fun of him and they say, oh, you're king of the Jews, right? And, and it's unique because it's a, uh, like a Gentile reference, but we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, so this is God's early invitations. I mean, if you're going to have a decent party, you got to warn people, right? you got to warn people a few weeks out, hey, or a few hundred years out, this is coming. It's coming, and it's big, and it's going to be worth celebrating. Um, it'll actually be worth celebrating um, to a degree that, that the whole world, the whole of human history will revolve around this, and it does. Um, let's see if I can get my slideshow back up here. Ha-ha. Um, the second way that God invites is with angels. Now, if you're going to invite folks to a party and you can book angels to do the invitation, I say do it. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is an outstanding way to do this. Um, and specifically, we're going to have a look at um, at the shepherds. Uh, everybody who's seen Charlie Brown, right? That was yesterday. It was the Charlie Brown Christmas Remembrance. Um, best cartoon scene ever where Linus steps out onto the stage after Charlie Brown yells, can anybody tell me what Christmas is all about? And he says, sure, Charlie Brown, I don't have the King James Version, I'm sorry. Um, in, the same region, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there will be born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and cloths. I do that every time I read this. And lying in a manger. And suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst men with whom he is pleased. Now this angel business is neat. And it's neat for a bunch of reasons. We're going to kind of work through this, right? Um, for starters, um, we see a model here, right? Angel appears. Everybody's terrified. He says, don't be afraid. 
gives them the good news and says, here's the sign, right? Um, we see it with, uh, we see it with, with Mary when she finds out about the birth. You know, the angel shows up. She's kind of afraid and says, hey, don't be afraid. Here's the deal. Um, and, and this will be the sign. So like, like this is a repeated model. Just so that you're aware, I want to add some structure to this. Um, secondly, um, this is an announcement that's made to outsiders. Now, if you're going to have the birth of a king, right, who do you invite? Other kings? Rich people? Um, you, people who matter? I, these are literally people who live outside. <laughs> um, I, and, and I love farmers. I'm going to tell you, these are farmers. Um, when was the last time you saw a farmer standing next to the president? Ain't all that odd. Well, I, I guess John, but he's also a senator. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, I just zing myself. That's awful. I can't. <laughs> um, this is an announcement made to outsiders. These are people. Um, and actually, the, there's a book, the Talmud, right? The Talmud. You have the first, um, the first several books, the Torah, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, those books, there's a commentary set that the, the Jewish rabbis would use. It's called the Talmud. And it actually starts with the Mishnah, and then they start making commentary on the Mishnah, and that's the Talmud, right? So it's a commentary on the commentary. But this is how Jewish rabbis and Jewish students understood the world. And part of how they understood the world was shepherds were not okay. Everybody with me? And it's because if you, like, were a shepherd, what did you, what did you have to do all the time? You had to watch a sheep, right? And I don't know anybody who raises sheep, but I'm pretty sure they don't hang out in central groups on their own without a lot of guidance, right? And they tend to get eaten by things. Around here, it's coyotes or something, right? We have coyotes. Um, <laughs> or wolves or the neighbors or I don't know. <laughs> um, so so um, shepherds generally didn't go to temple. Right, they didn't go to, to to the temple to worship, and because they didn't go to the temple to worship, they couldn't really properly follow their religion. And so the Talmud would say shepherds were like like the lowest rung of society. In fact, um, when you see that discussion, like who is your neighbor, it was a popular debate in that in that part of the world amongst the Jews for literally hundreds of years. They would argue, well, who is your neighbor? And some people would say Roman soldiers are not your neighbors and. Samaritans are not your neighbors. Well, one of the things that was pretty generally agreed on was shepherds are not your neighbor, right? These guys were not allowed to testify in court. <laughs> Women and shepherd and a couple other people, not allowed to testify in court. So these guys are the bottom rung of the barrel. Um, and we'll talk about this a little more next week. I don't want to beat this to death because I'll have nothing to say next week. Um, <laughs> it'll be a much shorter sermon. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, the outsiders that are getting this announcement um, are people that are considered to be not not religious. They're not um, even acceptable to the religion. They're not even like acceptable to testify to the fact that they saw this stuff happen. Um, and God sends literally angels. And if we go into this, it says um, the angel of the Lord. Now, this is a funny phrase. It probably refers to Gabriel. Right, because we see that designation attached to him elsewhere, and the phrase probably this is sort of the theology theologians' agreement on it. It's probably a reference to an angel that was a direct servant of God. You know, like you have different angels that do different jobs. This is like right up there at the top of the list. Right? Think um, 
I don't want to say General Petraeus. I can't think of any other. Gen- oh, Colin Powell shows up at your house to announce something. I mean, you know, this is this is you know way at the top of the list, um, and and this is the angel that God sends to announce to nobody or nobodies. Would that be the right? Yeah, to announce to the nobodies that this is going on. Now, there's a reason for that, and we'll get into it next week. But the next thing that happens here is the glory of the Lord shines all around him, right? That phrase we only see now and again in the scriptures, and it's always in reference to places like the temple, right? When Solomon's temple is dedicated, the glory of the Lord filled the temple, right? We see the glory of the Lord like on Moses when he comes out of, you know, spending time with God directly, and he glows like a light bulb, Um I almost started to root off the red nose reindeer. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he literally glows. Like this is the holiest places in the entire world experience the glory of the Lord. Um, the temple, like you wouldn't walk into parts of the temple without a rope tied to your leg, right? And bells on your clothes. So the bells would ring and like they'd know you were alive. And the moment the bell stopped ringing, they figured you did something wrong and God struck you dead. So they'd pull you out with a rope. Um, before you could go into the temple, you had to wash. They literally had a giant jug, and you would have to wash up before you were allowed to go into the temple to be in a place where the glory of the Lord used to be. Now, shepherds, outsiders, on a farm, in a field, on third shift, so they're kind of definitely not the first rung of the shepherds even. Um, what? <laughs> Am I the only one who ever worked third shift? They're all weirdos. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I can't believe I said that. Um, so, the glory of the Lord shines around them. This is, this is literally a spreading of what's sacred out into the world. It's a foreshadow of what's coming, right? These shepherds got to see something that almost no human beings had ever been able to see. And at the time, they were the only humans that had ever seen it alive at that point, right? They saw the glory of the Lord. Why? Because angels showed up to announce it. Because angels invited the people that nobody, nobody would have invited. And they made a huge deal out of it. On a farm, by the way. I made a note of that and I underlined it in my notes. This happens on a farm. So if you're ever out farming and you think you don't have quite the right job, remember, (laughs) this happened on a farm. Um, Well, they were you know, raising sheep, so it's technically not a farm. Never mind, I take it back. (laughs) And then we have the multitude of the heavenly host. This, again, is something that happens in God's throne room. Angels singing praise to God on a farm, or on a ranch, maybe. So, there you go, there's your warfare there. Um, (laughs) On a ranch, praising God, like something that would happen in God's throne room. This is a huge deal, and this is how God invites folks to his party. It's a lot better than store-bought invitations. Um, It's a big deal. Come to my party. Come see what I'm doing. The next kind of announcement we're going to talk about is the star, right? Um, This probably wasn't immediately at the birth. This is a little down the road. Um, you know, you see the pictures of the manger and the baby Jesus and the shepherd and the wise men and all this other stuff. The magi, the, that's the right word, magi. The magi probably showed up a little while later. It wasn't the day of. Um, but they followed this this star. And I, I wanted to just touch on this real quick. Um, the date of Jesus' birth is is sort of in question, right? I know everybody thinks, well, December 25th, zero. That's not it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's probably 3 or 4 B.C., 
right? Maybe 5 BC in that range. Because we know what happened during Herod's life. And we know there was a census. And we know certain things about it. And Herod died before zero. So, or one, I guess there's no zero. Um, and so, so it's got to be within that range. And so they look at all of these different factors and they've tried to figure it out. Um, right about that time, in about 11 BC, um, Halley's Comet passed by. Isn't that kind of crazy? You guys remember, well, you guys don't remember, but Haley, those, those of y'all who are older, you remember Halley's Comet, right? And the whole world was like, wow, look at the comet. I mean, so God times it. So just before this comet that passes by every 75 years happens to meander on by. Just saying. Um, every several thousand years, you have an alignment of planets that takes place. Um, which happens to take place in around 6 BC. Again, right before. And check this out. It's Jupiter and it's Saturn and they're in Pisces. Now, I'm not going to break into the age of Aquarius, okay? But the Magi were probably astrologers. They probably didn't write for the newspaper. Um, they were probably Persian astrologers. And so they would look at this and they would say, Jupiter. Jupiter is a big deal because Jupiter is associated with kings, right? So they would interpret it as, and this is how they looked at it. Well, Jupiter, that's kings. And Saturn, i got to check my notes here, make sure I get this right because I don't want to screw it up. Saturn is associated with the West. Now, we know they came from the East, right? So they look up and they're like, look, something's happening in the West and it involves a king. And Pisces, because the planet's aligned in the constellation Pisces, which I guess is the big fish, um, which they associated with the Jews, and so they look up in the sky, and what do they see? In a completely foreign religion, they see a prediction, an invitation. Look, kings being born in the West amongst the Jews. How awesome is that? Um, and they set out eventually. My slideshow turned off. Um, this is the last one I'm going to talk about here. In 4 or 5 BC, there was a supernova. How do we know this? Well, because the Chinese recorded it. <laughs> and we know in about 4 or 5 BC, which is about the time Jesus was born, um, there was a supernova that took place that was visible in the sky in an unbelievably bright way for about 70 days. Um, so the degree to which God is willing to go to announce the birth of Christ, I'm just saying, comets, planets aligning in foreign religion languages, right? And then a star blows up and lights up the sky for, what is that, three months, three and a half months, two and a half, something like that, I don't know, for 70 days. That's a long time because this is such a big deal that God is announcing it to everyone. Um, part of the deal with this is that you would see, um, like, like in ancient literature, um, signs in the sky are associated with the birth of kings. It's, it's just something that's common to ancient literature, and we see it in the birth of Christ. Um, because God is so intent on making the world know. But is he letting the Jews know? Well, the shepherds, right? Not the good Jews, the bad Jews. And he's letting foreigners know. But he's leaving the in crowd out for now. Um, why is this a big deal? Because there's something to be learned from this. Um, what we're seeing is a birth announcement. What we're seeing is the entire universe lining up in conspiracy of a birth announcement. Um, it's a birth announcement that we celebrate like year after year um, that God has literally come to save the people that don't deserve it. 
to save you, to save me, to save that guy that we all gossip about that lives in our neighborhood. You know him. Or that girl that worked over at that store that we don't like. And Jesus came for that person. Like God stepped out of heaven and into human form for that person. And every year we celebrate it. And we all take on a new job, right? Um, I think it's Paul that writes. Let me have a glance at my passage here. Um, Paul wrote in Romans, uh, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? In whom they have not believed. How will they believe in him who they have not heard of? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Um, There are folks all around us, right? You know them. People who don't know Jesus from anything. People who the angels showed up to announce to. Probably not many shepherds in this community, I don't think. I saw sheep the other day, so they're around. But but um, people who need Christ and who don't know him. And we have a job, right? We'll, we'll shift into more Christmassy-focused stuff here for the next few weeks. But I wanted to start by saying we all have a job. We have a job to announce. You know them. You all know more folks than I do, Right? Folks will only come and folks will only hear about Christ. Folks will only hear about that death that's saving us from sin if we tell them. It's us. We're the plan. Um, Isaiah wrote in prediction of this, the people who are dwelling in darkness in the land of darkness have seen a great light. Matthew quotes it in reference to the birth of Christ, right? People around us live in the land of darkness. We're light bringers. On the tree in the back... This is our beautiful tree, donated by a saint, so I've heard. Um, And and there are angel ornaments hanging on my tree. Every week we're going to do something in theme, right? Um, What I want for you guys to do today is, um, you got it in your head, you know them, right? Anybody not know what I'm talking about? You know them. Um, I want you to grab an angel on the way out if you're willing to invite, just as a reminder, right? Come see what we found. I'm not saying everybody should grab one. But if the Spirit's touching your heart, if the Spirit's moving in you, and the Spirit's saying, hey, we got some inviting to do. we got some announcing of the birth of Jesus to do. We've got some celebrating of the greatest thing that's ever happened to do. Grab one up. Hang it in your car. Or put it in your wallet. Some of them have glitter, so you won't want to touch them that much. Um, Some people like glitter. Saying, um, but pick one up and remember this is what we're here for. It starts with invitations, and that's what we're called to do. We're gonna um, we're gonna be doing communion this morning, and, and actually, it's appropriate that we start it with communion, right? That we start our Christmas season with communion, because in communion we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate. Um, what God did for us in Christ. Um, And we celebrate that we're all one body in Christ. Um, And so I'm going to call Kate forward to play piano for communion. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And I'm going to call my ushers forward, and we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Thank you, Kate.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, um, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And it was literally the body that he received in this season that we're celebrating. It was broken for your redemption. It was broken for your, for your um, peace to be made with God. Um, and as you take the bread this morning, um, remember, this is about you and Jesus. This is about Christ coming and dying for you.